My new book is out, Pirate Money, Discovering the Founder's Hidden Plan for Economic Justice and Defeating the Great Reset. I'm still working from my printed copy that I did all these notes on, but I'm excited about this book. In fact, it may be the best book I've ever written. I'm thrilled with the conclusions. I really loved the research, loved everything about it. But the promise, the founder's hidden plan for economic justice and defending the Great Reset, that's a tall order because it comes from about 17 words written in the Constitution 240 years almost ago. But I believe it. That's what this book is about. It's about economic justice. Sure, about the history of money. Yes, about how to stop government overreach in your life, how to protect you from the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum, the Chinese economic warfare. Yeah, that's all in there. You know, Ben Carson wrote the foreword for my last book, According to Plan, and he wrote a nice endorsement for the new book. And I, I'm going to share with, part of that with you. But this time, my dear friend Nick Vujicic wrote the foreword. It's pretty good. Let me read a portion of what he said. He said, when I first visited Liberty Hawk Ranch, I had no idea what to expect. The property name was certainly intriguing. And I'd heard of Kevin Freeman from his Blaze TV show, Economic War Room with Kevin Freeman, but who was he? Economists are stuffy and more often than not, terribly wrong. They're worse than weather forecasters. And when you get things wrong about money, people get hurt and they never seem to have answers, only problems. Economics is known as the dismal science. Dismal for sure, but science? Hardly. To make it worse, I was visiting what in effect was a dismal science war room. Could it get more depressing? <laughs> Gosh, thanks, Nick. Uh, now, this is a man. He was born without arms and legs, and yet there's no happier person on the planet. He's got a beautiful wife. He loves the Lord. He lives for God. He helps people all the time, speaks in schools. He's one of the most famous people on planet Earth, and he's faithful. He's loyal. He's a great friend, and he was debanked. That's right. He was debanked. That means his bank kicked him out, said, we don't want your accounts anymore. And that's why he came to see me. We have a mutual friend, Jim Garlow. He's a, a former pastor from San Diego. He runs the Wellverse Ministries. He's been on this show. Great man. He arranged for the two of us together to get together. Anyway, let me keep reading what Nick wrote. He said, rather than a robotic economist focused only on charts and graphs, I found Kevin to be truly human and a fervent believer in Christ. Warm, funny, engaging, smart. Don't get me wrong. He has all the credentials and diplomas, a CFA designation, 40 years in the investment field, and more than a decade as America's preeminent economic warfare expert. But what I found most intriguing was that Kevin had the same mindset as me. Now I know, I'm reading Nick's comments about me. They're flattering and I love them, but thank you, Nick. Anyway, he said, rather than focusing on problems, he pursued solutions. If people were losing bank accounts because of political or religious beliefs, we need to build a bank that wouldn't do that. When a person is kicked out of their bank, they're essentially dehumanized and Kevin understood more than that, he jumped in to help solve the problem. Now, I love Nick. I love what he shared. I'm so proud to have that in the, in the um, book, Pirate Money is the Forward. But Nick's not the only one who was debanked. What about Sam Brownback? He's a former senator. He was an ambassador in the Trump administration, and his bank kicked him out, or Nigel Farage in the United Kingdom. You know, that man was the one who led Brexit, and his bank just kicked him out, and no other bank wants to take him in the United Kingdom or Dr. Ruth Kennedy, who we've featured on this show. These are real people, famous people, and, and yet they are having their bank accounts removed. 
Well, that's part of the reason that we wrote this book. Here, Nick goes on and says, pirate money explains the threat. These include inflation, massive government debt, CBDC, targeted debanking, the World Economic Forum, the dollar's precarious state as reserve currency, and Chinese unrestricted warfare. More importantly, however, it offers a profound solution, one that was hidden in the Constitution more than 200 years ago, one that will work today if we find the political will to implement it. It's not a hard task. It is an essential one. I challenge you to read Pirate Money and share it with everyone you know. This isn't only for those on the political left or right. It isn't just for Republicans or Democrats. It's not just for the wealthy or the poor. This is about economic justice, and reading it will make a real difference in your everyday life. Don't be intimidated. The story is readable, personal, and compelling. You'll understand it, and more importantly, gain clarity on what must be done to make things right again. As the book explains, we've been playing the game Monopoly using monopoly money with a banker who cheats. The money system should be fair. It's what God's word demands, but for too long that hasn't been the case. It's time for that to change. Now, Nick quotes Isaiah chapter 33, which is all about how bad people have been plundering and dealing treacherously. They were like pirates. But God delivers an answer through the prophet Isaiah. He says, wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of times, of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Nick calls pirate money a treasure map. I really believe he's right. And it's such an honor to have him write the foreword. It's a huge thrill to read it to you. I mean, I'm just flattered by it and appreciative of it. But there were a lot of other endorsements that came through from people I truly admire, like Charlie Kirk, Ben Carson, Kevin Sorbo, you know, Hercules, Michelle Bachman, the congressman, Senator Jim DeMint. My goal was to make this book accessible, not stuffy, not boring. I sent it to a number of good authors to get their feedback. One was the author of 15 books, and this man considered it is an elite public speaker. And here's what he said. He said, thank you for the email copy of your new book. I started reading it and found it so good that I stopped very quickly and did something I've never done before. I had my 20-year-old assistant read it out loud to me so I could just concentrate on what you'd written. This was the first time for me. Your information was so powerful. Part of the reason was the clarity, energy, how and how compelling the writing was. We didn't want to stop reading. The book had a warmth and a personal feeling with the reader that you conveyed well. My assistant said that for something that is applicable today and tomorrow, it's the best book he has read. He wrote back again the following morning. He said, it's 8.55 Phoenix time, and I've just finished rereading your book. You can see I started very early this morning. It wasn't a lick and a promise. Rather, attention to every chapter, paragraph, sentence, and word. Obviously, you have made tremendous effort with research and time and treasure to develop this book. But most importantly, you have a plan of action. Wow, that's exactly what we were going for. The goal is to clarify the problem. We see the decline of the middle class, inflation, out-of-control government, but also to offer real practical answers. It's revolutionary. It's pirate money. The research project for this book and the action plan I'm thrilled with. How can I protect my family? How can you protect yours? Let's save America and pass along liberty to future generations. I know, that's a tall order for 17 words in a document written 240 years ago. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, let's see what I learned in the research for this book. What did I learn writing the book Pirate Money? 
I'd like to walk through just a few of the themes. And the first one, the most important one maybe, is inflation. And it's been really bad since 1971. You know, that was the year that Nixon took us off the gold standard. I remember it pretty well because I was a 10-year-old kid. And as I mentioned in the book, I remember at age 10, I could buy a Hershey's bar for a dime. I could buy a Spider-Man comic book for 15 cents. I could buy a Slurpee for a quarter and get change. And I could buy a cheeseburger, set of fries, and a chocolate shake, all for under a dollar. You add it all up, $1.60 is what I would spend on my perfect summer day, and I can earn that $1.60 in one hour's work cutting the front lawn from my house. So it was a good time. Inflation has really crushed us, though, and I talk about that. So that story is actually in the introduction, and I talk about in chapter one, we get into what money should be. Money should be something that's easy, accessible, it keeps its value, everybody accepts it, uh, it's easy to exchange for things. Unfortunately, what we have is money today, it doesn't function that way. And I explain to you why, in the book, why money that is made solely out of paper was not the original intention. And it is a really bad system over time. I mean, whether it's Zimbabwe, where you see the Zimbabwe paper money that where they had to print $100 trillion bills. I've got one up here, Ein Million Mark, uh, that was printed in, in Weimar, Germany in 1923 because eventually, if money's not backed by anything, it loses its value over time. So what money should be? I talked about the future of it. What it should be, it should be what we've talked about all the time, transactional gold and silver. If we could take pirate money, that's why the title of the book, Pirate Money, like gold doubloons and, and, or, and silver pieces of eight, and we could make them transactional using a debit card, we would have an ideal system of money. So that's chapter one, what is ideal money? And we use the phrase, money is freedom, or it should be. Well, that's important. When we get further in the book, you'll understand. So chapter two is the future of money, and there's a lot of competition, whether it's Bitcoin, or whether it is central bank digital currency, or whether it is the BRICS trying to offer a gold-backed uh, new reserve currency for the world, BRICS meaning Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, a whole group of nations teaming up. The, what is the future of money? So we talk about Bitcoin. It's a great story. I've shared it before. But the first transaction in Bitcoin was a Papa John's two medium pizzas. And I think where they paid 10,000 Bitcoins on May 22nd, 2010, 10,000 Bitcoins. At one point, those 10,000 Bitcoins would have been worth $60 million. That's $30 million a pizza. So is that your ideal money? Actually, probably not. It might have been a great investment, but you wouldn't want to spend money that's going to have that potential for appreciation. So chapter two is the future of money. I think you'll find it enlightening. Uh, chapter three, though, goes a little bit further, and it talks about Biden bucks, or central bank digital currency, or programmable money that is soon to come out. In July, the Federal Reserve announced FedNow, available, tested through 40-some banks, and ready to roll to create central bank digital currencies. We've talked about them on this program before, but CBDC is essentially money that the federal government owns and they let you have a use license to, 
And if they like what you're spending money on, they'll let you spend it. If they like you, they'll let you keep it. But if you've done something, you violated the social credit scoring system of ESG or DEI and diversity, equity, and inclusion, I, I prefer DIE, uh, diversity, inclusion, equity, then it spells die because it's terrible. But if you don't line up with the federal government, they just make your money go away or they make it not useful. You go to buy gasoline and you can't buy it because no, you should only have an electric car. You want to buy a gas powered stove. No, you're not allowed to have that. Or maybe you've been really good and they'll let you go on a trip or maybe you've not been really good and you can't leave your zip code. That is what programmable money is all about. They can make it work for today, but it might expire tomorrow. Or maybe it doesn't start working for a week or two so they can control the economy and control you. It's a line item veto on your spending. Money is supposed to be freedom, but central bank digital currencies, there's no way. It's the opposite. We call it shekels become shackles. In other words, you know, it's bad, bad news. So that's chapter three. And, and that is bad news. And we have a series of bad news chapters. The Coming Storm and the Great Reset. You know, Glenn Beck wrote a great book on the Great Reset. We talk about it on the program all the time. But there's a serious problem that's coming. And it's the Great Reset and, and what they're going to do from the World Economic Forum. And then chapter five gets, is titled Beware the Dragon. And it talks about the challenges that China will bring to us in economic warfare. Again, something we talk about all the time, their intention is to destroy the use of the American dollar. Chapter six is the founder's secret that can save America. And that's where we get into the, and I'll explain that in the, uh, on this episode, but that's where we get into how the founders hated paper money. They wanted money like this old one. This is a silver certificate. You could take this to the uh, US Treasury. You could exchange this paper for real silver coins. And that's what chapter six explains. Thomas Jefferson used the quote, paper is poverty. Alexander Hamilton, who was the first treasury secretary said, to emit an unfunded paper as the sign of value ought not to continue a formal part of the constitution nor ever hereafter be employed. Being in its nature pregnant with abuses liable to be made the engine of imposition and fraud. That's what we have now. Alexander Hamilton, who's on the $10 bill, is the one warning about it. He was a pirate in his day, and he wanted us to have pirate money, real money, gold doubloons and silver pieces of eight. We'll show you how that'll work in a little bit. But chapter seven, the power reserved to the states. That's from the Constitution, Article 1, Section 10. Those 17 words that make all the difference. This is our path out. It's our treasure map. Chapter 8 goes on, and chapter 8 is economic justice. And economic justice is really what the book is about because the average person in the middle class doesn't have the same opportunities they did 40, 50, 60 years ago. And this explains why. Chapter 9 is traveling the yellow brick road and with silver slippers. I bet you did not know that The Wizard of Oz is an economic fairy tale. We explain it all in the book. It was something that shocked me when I studied it. And then we have an afterword. It is a very simple, easy to read book that you'll get through in one afternoon and you will know more about money than you ever have in your life. And better yet, you'll know the hidden secret from the founders for economic justice and beating the Great Reset. We're going to need to take another break. When we come back, we'll walk through that hidden secret. 
There was a plan written in the United States Constitution almost 240 years ago, just 17 simple words in Article 1, Section 10. And, and you're going to have to, you know, pull out some of the extraneous words that are in there to get the point, but Article 1, Section 10 says, no state shall, and then put three dots in there, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts. It's a very simple phrase. It says the state, no state shall coin money, no state shall emit bills of credit, and no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts. What did the founders mean when they wrote that? They meant this. They meant gold doubloons and silver pieces of eight. That was real money. It was called a Spanish milled dollar at the time. And I actually have a real one here. This is a, a, an actual Spanish milled dollar. Um, and you, when you look on it, it is 1783. So it's right about the time when, uh, right before the Constitution was written. That would have been something George Washington could have used and spent, or Thomas Jefferson or Alexander Hamilton. That was real money to them. And it stayed real money, as you'll see in the book Pirate Money, for decades. And in fact, the book Pirate Money is about this because what did you know? Gold doubloons and silver pieces of eight, they're known as pirate money. I'm telling you, pirate money is patriot money. It's the money our founders and patriots who established this great nation used. And they believed in it. They didn't believe in paper money that was unbacked by anything. In fact, the founders warned us about it. Whether it was Hamilton or Franklin or Jefferson or, or Washington, they all, or Madison, they all warned us that paper is poverty. They said it's an evil monetary system. Why did they do that? Well, because the Continental Congress had emitted paper like this Continental, and it wasn't worth a Continental. George Washington made the statement, you could bring a wheelbarrow full of these stacked up high, and it would not buy you a wheelbarrow full of supplies. So the good news, they picked up pirate money. That's why we titled the book Pirate Money, it's Patriot Money. Now I'm gonna give you a sneak peek at the solution because people are worried. Uh, here's ex-CIA advisor predicts date when US dollar hegemony will collapse. Here's another one, the gold standard is back. BRICS, our enemies in many cases, to intro gold-backed reserve currency. And here, only 16% of Americans support the government issuing a central bank digital currency. And yet that's what's happening. FedNow and central bank digital currency, that's making headlines and it's coming at you faster than you can imagine. Where do you run? Where do you escape? If you go to your traditional bank, they will only have unbacked paper money, which is considered poverty, or they will have central bank digital currency. So you say, what do I invest in? Where do I put my money? That's the question I get asked more often than any other single question. So what do you do? The middle class, we need a simple way to buy, to sell, to transact in real money, pirate money, like gold and silver. And it needs to be optional so that you can join it with part of your assets or all of your assets. That is the purpose of the book to show you a system that you can put your money in. I'm not selling you. I'm not up here hawking, hey, buy from our gold supplier or whatever. No, I'm telling you a political solution found in the Constitution that can change the trajectory of the United States economy and the world economy. 
Now, if you just buy gold and silver, there are downsides to it. It's illiquid. It's hard to buy and sell. There are cap gains taxes. If it goes up in value, you have storage costs. There's just the complexity of learning how to buy and sell. And there are a lot of unscrupulous gold dealers. There are many good ones. You need to find a really good one. But there's a lot of unscrupulous ones. All the upside of gold doubloons and silver pieces of eight with none of the headaches, that's what I want. And thanks to technology, it can be available. So I've used, I've talked about it here before, and I've recently spoken with the founder and CEO of Glint, and they produce a debit card that they add on to their Swiss deposit, uh, depository, and they insure it with Lloyds of London, and it's a Brinks vault, and you can put, send them cash, U.S. dollars, they'll buy gold and hold it for you, and then you can spend it with a Glint MasterCard. Is that legal? Yeah, it's totally legal. But the problem with it is, it is not legal tender, and so it's a part of the banking system. Not Glint's fault. It's also not a problem, uh, Glint's fault that it has to be in Switzerland. They don't have a U.S.-based depository. It's not Glint's fault that the government will tax you if the value of your gold and silver appreciates while you're holding it in their vault. But the founders wanted something different for us. They prevented states from coining money and emitting bills of credit, but they did allow a single provision for states. They allowed them to make gold and silver coins legal tender. Now, in my research for the Pirate Money book, I found a Supreme Court case that says that gold and silver coins are equivalent to bullion, which means if we could take glint and make that legal tender, and here's our proposal, we have a bullion depository in Texas. It was passed uh, several legislative sessions ago, and we tried uh, with a bill in the 88th Texas legislature with a plan that they did not pass. But I'm going back with the new book, Pirate Money. I shared it with one, just one Texas legislator, and he's like, this is it. This proves it. This is going to win as soon as we get all my colleagues to read it. So the book, Pirate Money, is a treasure map to implementing a state-based gold and silver money using the concept of Glint and the technology like Glint and adding it to the existing Texas bullion depository. It becomes virtually ideal money, state-based gold and silver money that is fully transactional. Now, the new book, Pirate Money, Discovering the Hidden Plan for Economic Justice and Defeating the Great Reset, that explains it all. I can't do it in this short program. So get the book at piratemoneybook.com. This is about economic justice. A dozen states have already expressed interest, and the book is just now getting out there. So I'm getting calls and emails from people like senators, state senators in, in Pennsylvania. They said, we want... Uh, state-based money. I'm getting contact from people who love Bitcoin and decentralized finance and say, this is ideal for us. What I'm telling you is that pirate money is patriot money. Now, there may be some pushback that comes from this, but we need to push back on the pushback. Remember the movie Network? I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Well, here's my phrase. I'm borrowing from Colonel Crockett. CBDC may go to hell. My gold shall go to Texas. Inflation may go to hell, my gold shall go to Texas. The digital yuan may go to hell, my gold shall go to Texas. And you can help. 
There's an action plan in here. You need to encourage Texas to adopt in the next legislative session or a special session and get your state on board. Go to transactionalgold.com and use the Take Action button. We're preparing a brand new push to get this enacted. We're even going to have a seminar on it at Liberty Hawk Ranch in mid-September for legislators. So you need to help us with this plan. Go to economicwarroom.com, sign up to get our free economic battle plan, and it'll explain everything and buy the book Pirate Money. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.